0: Aloha and welcome to Season 5, that's right, 5 of Our Undoing Radio. I am your host, Jeremy Vaney. This radio program is sponsored by no one. Well, by donors like yourself, kind of like PBS, except a lot less money. So if you'd like to support this program and the website to which it is in service, www.ourundoing.com, please go there and click the subscribe slash donations button. And uh, give a little, won't you? Or uh, sign up for a lifetime membership. I have um, i think I said last season how I'm doing this now. I mean, the website is essentially now uh, free. Free. Um, But if you cave and decide to get a lifetime membership, then the website opens up into a magical, larger, much larger, oh, so much larger experience. And if you can't afford that and you donate, once um, the cumulative total of donations hit the $333 it costs for a lifetime subscription, I will pick someone at random to become a lifetime member for... Otherwise free. I mean, you know, whatever you paid for the donation, fine. But you don't have to pay the rest of it. The rest of it's free. Likewise, if somebody buys a uh, a lifetime membership flat out, I pick someone at random from the donation pool to uh, to also become a lifetime member for free. Or, you know, for whatever you paid to donate. Not quite free, but almost free. So, in some sense, it pays to donate. Uh, But it also keeps everything up and running, so please do consider doing that. Um, And if you don't want to do that or can't afford it, and the gods know, um, people are out of money nowadays, so um, certainly write to me, Jeremy, at undoing.com and uh, I'll see what I can do for you. (laughs) I mean, really, what I'll probably do is be like, well, do you think you could maybe, like, if you enjoy it, tell people about it, tell people about the website and the show, and then I'll just give you a free lifetime membership. I mean, probably something like that. We'll work out something like that. But if uh, if you don't want any of that, don't let that stop you from uh, telling people about the show and the website. This is probably uh, Spirit's best kept secret. <laughs> Besides, you know, the meaning of life. I guess that would be the other one. That one and hour and doing radio. Those are the two. Uh boy. <laughs> it's taking a turn for arrogance here in the fifth season. Um but actually it's taken a turn for something that I wasn't expecting when I taped this. I I taped this first episode thinking it would be somewhere in the middle of this season, but then I got the idea in my head, wouldn't it be interesting to take some little bit? after I've edited and listened back to the episode, take some little bit, um, kind of like we did with, um, in last season with Teokussin and talking about prophecy and then making that its own episode. Um, could I take a little bit that I just glance over and explore that and explode it into its own episode? Could tiny branches become trees? And so that's kind of the theme of this season. So this was the first one, as I said, that, uh, I recorded, I was not planning on doing the season this way when I recorded it, I was planning on having this be sort of in the middle somewhere, Um, but it is the season opener, and from this little acorn will grow a tree, and by the end of the tree there will be branches to grow into a branching tree the next episode, and so on, and so on, and so on, oh you'll see what I mean. Now, let's talk about my diet. I cannot remember for the life of me if I've told you uh, that I'm a vegetarian and how I came to be a vegetarian. How fortunate I am the way that I became a vegetarian. Um, So, I will briefly tell it or retell it now. Um, I mean, the essential is I woke up one day and I was just a vegetarian. (laughs) I was literally psyched to be awake early enough to go get the McGriddle sandwich at McDonald's across the street from me um, when I was living in New York. And um, as I was walking that way, my feet just kept on going. It was like my body had a mind of its own. My feet just kept on a-walking. And uh, I ended up going to Trader Joe's, buying a bunch of vegetables sitting there in my head going, this is insane. I don't know. And this was not a Kundalini thing. This was just, um, it wasn't like a takeover that I'm aware of. It was just like literally my body had had enough or something. And so marched me to Trader Joe's, got a bunch of vegetables, and um, I never looked back. And then uh, I still ate eggs and fish, but when I moved to Hawaii, I stopped eating fish stopped eating fish because um, the Fukushima radiation thing bothered me, but also um, after snorkeling for a good long while, uh, I noticed that if I hadn't eaten fish in a few weeks, the fish in the sea were a lot uh, less afraid of me. Like they smelled their, their, their brethren on me or something. So I gave up fish. And I still eat eggs um, just because I do. I mean, I guess if I had to be like, oh, it's a life, I don't think an egg is a life. Uh, It is a, sure, growing tissue, but it is not a fully formed life. So if I were going to make, you know, a a pro-life argument for not eating animals, I would stick with that for eggs. Um, And I don't mean pro-life in the abortion way, although... You can insert the argument there, too, if you like. Um, but usually in the abortion thing, saying you're pro-life actually means something else. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're actually pro-life. It just means uh, you read a book and that you interpret something religious, blah, blah, blah. You You know. You know. You've been around, right? We're all adults here. So, okay. I am a vegetarian by that circumstance. And so, uh, naturally, a good portion of the people I meet who are not vegetarians immediately assume that I am a vegetarian for some judgmental reason. Meat is murder and that sort of thing. And I just tell them, no. I mean, uh, literally, I woke up one day. I mean, otherwise, I would still be eating meat just like them. But I, I, of course, in my life, have heard the arguments about meat being murder, and I find them to be true and untrue at the same time. So let's, let's unpack it our undoing doing style. The argument goes that there is a consciousness hierarchy. Uh, of course, we're at the top of that. How convenient for us. And plants are somewhere down toward the bottom. I'm sure like amoebas and and tardigrades and things are smaller. You know, it's all based, (laughs) the scale is based on size, apparently. Um, Actually, I don't know what it's based on. Is it based on critters that seem to look and behave more like us? Are we just consider them more intelligent? If that's so, then shouldn't praying mantises be in there? Because those guys are the humans of the bug world, aren't they? Um, But then when you think about it, there are indigenous people who eat monkeys. And Teocas and Ghost Horse, uh, if you recall from him giving us the Lakota perspective uh, from the last uh, couple of seasons, uh, the Lakota perspective on food is that you eat what's there. You eat what is nutritious and healthy. Um they ate buffalo, they ate other critters. So I mean, on the on the face of it, it it would be hard for a westernized person to make any sort of claim about hierarchical consciousness equals don't eat meat. But th- this isn't necessarily even a Western perspective, is it? Because um in the East, it's the That same thing, that consciousness hierarchy. In fact, that that might even be where it comes from. Some listener out there can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Just let let me know. Feel free. So what do we do here? I mean, I look at just having animals for the first time that I'm able to pay attention to in an adult way. I mean, I I had a, a parakeet named Birdie when I was a kid. And that bird didn't like me too much, and I could understand why. I wasn't the best uh, person to take care of a bird, <laughs> or anything at that at that point. Um, but I was a kid, and this was a caged bird, and, you know, animals, pets. They're kind of like objects in a sense. They're, you know, living, cuddly teddy bears. Um, but now that I can see... On, you know i 've grown up, and I can see on a more level playing field I am now almost as mature as those birds. I can see them as uh, beings like you and me, and in fact i don 't see them as much less intelligent for some reason they have fewer interests uh, they don 't seem to want to get into a rocket ship and go out into space, even if we put monkeys in rocket ships and blast them out in space or dogs. Uh, they don't seem to want to go. (laughs) They don't have that, that ambition. So I, I get that there is a difference of intelligence. I'm not trying to equate the two completely in, in certain, in a certain sense, but in another sense, like the basics are all there in our ducks. You know, we have eight ducks and they're little people. I mean... They just are, if you can see them that way. And if you can see them that way, it's because they are that way. Uh, if you can't see them that way, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> there's something to which you are blind. And I say this because I have neighbors who grew up on farms, and they just see animals as meat. They just see them as a source of food or slave labor or something like that. For some reason, they can actually block out uh the aliveness, the intelligence, the emotional depth of animals. And again, it's not that they get everything that we get, but what they do understand, they understand extremely well. And there are certain things they do that are perfection. They're so perfection that, I, you know, we have to say, oh, well, that's that's instinct, as if that's an answer. Like somehow they can do things perfectly and... We just pass that off as some sort of robotic programming. We'll just ignore the fact that they're masters of their craft. That way, uh, you know, we do it by choice, and therefore we're higher creatures. They do it because they have no choice. But the more you hang out with these animals, um, the house cats, the ducks, for me, uh, the ants, (laughs) the more you see that they do make choices just like we do. They're just not as baffled by the fact that we make choices in the way that we are when they do. I mean, how many sea turtles have come up to me in the ocean because they're just curious? Just saying hello. Mm, Many of them. So, I can see that it would be difficult to eat meat if you were friends with the being that you're calling meat. I can understand why you would want to put up that block and and all of that. Um, And having mass produced food certainly helps for sure. Right. But I think, I wonder after this COVID-19 thing, the more people who who have been farming and planting, uh, are they more in tune with just how alive everything is and how alive it makes us to be interconnecting with them, to be nurturing plants, even to be raising a garden. And as Teokusson would point out, to be nurtured by those plants, to be raised by that garden. Plants, by the way, trees, smart. Super intelligent. My first clue of that was uh, when I lived in an apartment in Kainaliu, on the Kona side of this island. And um, seeing, I think it was a vine, I guess it was a vine that was stretching all the way across the pavement toward the spigot uh, where there would be a hose because there might be some water there. Like, it could sense water. A plant could sniff out water and move. Uh, It could grow toward it to try to get it. I mean, that's intelligence. I don't know how you're figuring that out across concrete and all that. But there it is. And that's just my own little stupid observation, <laughs> right? This isn't even, you know, there are people who study trees and who can tell you that, you know, uh, when the, the mother tree starts sprouting fruit, all the other trees uh, who are her children know to sprout fruit, you know, wherever they are in the world, it seems. Uh, this is odd, right? So there are people who look at that. And they can tell you all kinds of ways that plants are intelligent. Water is intelligent. Water carries intelligence. Anything that's alive is intelligent. And everything is alive. Because everything is intelligence. So, what a conundrum. There ain't nothing that's not alive. Because it's consciousness. Uh... I mean, organisms live and die, but even the dead organism is consciousness. Whatever it transmutes to is consciousness. Everything's consciousness. So this hierarchy of consciousness is just consciousness per se, the one consciousness of which we are an expression, or in which we are an expression, how it breaks down according to uh, physical if you want to say limitations, quote-unquote limitations, but just how consciousness gets expressed physically as organisms in time. The oneness gets broken up into multitude, and that multitude isn't just a carbon copy. It's all gradations. So in the end, one is eating oneself. (laughs) What are we to do? We are the snake eating its tail, I guess. But if you are going to see food this way, see, you know, recognize the life that you're taking—that it's precious. Whether it's a plant, a bug, an animal, whatever it is, how do you alleviate the guilt if, if you see everything as having an equal right to live as you? If you can't just pass it off as well, that's that's slightly less. Therefore, nom, 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 nom. Well, you have to eat thankfully, don't you? You have to mean it. And this is what the Lakota do, right? This is what all indigenous peoples do is... I mean, how else could you eat a monkey? <laughs> uh, unless you are deeply grateful... That that monkey, well, we would say gave its life for you. They might even say they might say that, but they might say offered its life. You know, not that you took the life, but that it offered its life for you. I guess offered and gave are kind of the same thing, but I think when we say gave its life, we don't really mean that it offered up. Said, He, here you go, here's my life. Um so that's that's a way to be thankful is to, but I don't know that the animal is seeing it that way. Like, yeah, yeah, here's my life. You know? Great. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> so, so I tend not to do that. I tend not to make, make that leap. But I am grateful and thankful that life begets life. And in fact, now that I say that, what I just said might be my own ignorance because I wasn't brought up in those cultures, so I'm just looking as an outsider. And perhaps what they mean by uh, the animal offered its life is that life begets life. So not in, the, not in the, the realm of the animal sense of self, the ego self of the animal, is going, eh, hey, here you go, but just that life begets life. And in the end, there is an understanding of that, perhaps even from the prey animal. I don't know. I would like to think that if I were being eaten by a shark or a bear or something, if I felt anything beyond pain or numbness, um, physical pain or numbness, that it would be some sort of grateful for the opportunity to feed them, that I would be okay with it. You know, I'm sure I would struggle and try to get away and all that, but once I'm resigned, what is that resignation? Is it just oh oh well, you gotta go? Is it scared out of your mind, or is it huh? what a magical moment you know i mean i'm I lost in this 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 game of predator prey, but uh on the other hand, that being gets to live on, gets to eat, and gets to carry me with him, maybe feed her children. who knows getting a little morbid, huh. <laughs> Didn't mean for it to go that way. Uh, I just wanted to say that, yeah, meat is murder. It's taking a life, but so is taking a plant. I mean, I used to say to myself, well, you're just eating the... If you just eat the leaves, and probably this is true. If you just eat the leaves of the flowers, that's like eating someone's fingernails or something. That's the cuticle. That's, you know, the root is going to grow it back, so it's fine. But then you find out that the smell of freshly mowed grass is actually the smell of grass crying out for help because ah I'm being mowed. So if that's true and who can trust a human <laughs> scientist examining grass to know if that's true or not, but if that's true, uh, that's pretty awful, right? That's like every time you mow the lawn, um, is some form of genocide or something. I don't know. Attack even though the roots grow more grass. I can't, I guess, even hide behind that. And plus, I do eat roots of things sometimes. You pluck things out of the ground, eat them. And sure, you can maybe grow roots off of a part of the vegetable uh, that will then grow its own vegetable, become another garden, but I guess to to feel happy about that, you got to just sort of pave over the fact that you you did, in fact, murder that original vegetable, Uh, even if its clone army of vegetables carries on. It's really like the TV show Westworld. You know, what does alive mean at that point? Does a clone of something mean that's not alive, or does it mean that both of them are individuated beings? You can keep going down these rabbit holes of like fear and paranoia and guilt and feeling bad. But at the end of the day, you got to eat something. Uh, And so, again, feeling thankful, feeling grateful, making a promise that you're going to promote life, that their life isn't in vain. And this doesn't have to be like a prayer that you do or a daily mantra or something. It's just go do something with your life. That promotes life. That helps other beings. That helps all beings. That helps people. That helps Mama Earth. These are the things worth doing, right? And so these are the things worth dying for. I hope so, because I like cookies. Cookies take ingredients, and those ingredients were alive. Uh, (laughs) But it's also... It could be an interesting lens through which to view um, the atrocities of life. War. Famine. um, Abduction. Enslavement. Actual murder, you know, by the law murder. I guess I could just keep listing atrocities, but I'm pretty sure you know what atrocities are. Uh, When you think about them or you're in the midst of them, if you live in war-torn wherever, um, is there a way to understand these atrocities as a part of life? Which isn't to say that there aren't criminals doing criminal things, and they're not responsible for their actions and all that. It's to say that, that yeah, that's that's on a person-by-person basis, but the actuality of those awful deeds is always going to be here. That that is a part of life. They're going to be expressed through someone, through multitudes of people, Um, or through natural, what we would call disaster. Nature might call change, reformation, transformation, growth. All these ways in which we feel hurt and hurt others, Is there a way to see that through the lens of understanding, which leads to a gratitude of life instead of a fear of it or a condemnation of just how awful everything is? Could you walk through hell smiling, not because you're sadistic, not because you're crazy, not because you're evil, but because you understand something so fundamental That you're okay? Something about the okayness of the situation that seems the worst extreme possible. Is there an understanding of that that we can have? That doesn't make the situation okay, but makes us okay nonetheless? Where we could stay balanced in the midst of hell? This is something to look at. Because as we discussed in the last season... A lot of people went kind of nuts with the COVID, with the having to stay in their houses and deal with themselves and their family and their, you know, and again, beyond the struggle of like, how are you going to pay your bills and all of that? um, We're talking about just purely the psychological sitting with yourself or sitting with the life that you've made for yourself. If we can't do that, how are we going to survive Global reformations, global changes, global transformations. There's something Tiokasin said in the, uh, the finale of last season uh, that really stuck with me, which was talking about um, essentially the New Agers who talk about this transformation, talk about the shift. And he's saying, Isn't this what you were talking about? Aren't you in the middle of it? So, why are you woefully unprepared? This is what you wanted. this is what you've been talking about this whole time. Here it is. well, it gets to the idea that I uh, spoke about last season in the um, the episode on uh, cesspools and rabbit holes you know telling the difference between a cesspool and a rabbit hole, which is that we we want to uh, we want to get to the end of our mythical journey, our hero's journey, our journey of the genius, whichever journey we fancy ourselves to be on, we want the outcome. We want the validation. We want the transformation. We want all of that, but we don't want to go through the dark night of the soul. We don't want to confront ourselves in the cave. We don't want to look in the mirror. We just want to be told that we've done done that. We want whatever tragedy that's gone on in our lives or a thing that we feel bad about in our lives, we want that to be enough. Like, haven't I done enough already? Haven't I given enough already? But one doesn't translate to the other, um, necessarily. Uh, so you can have a crappy childhood or you can have a bad time at work or you can be a victim of something. And, uh, just because that happened years and years ago, doesn't translate into, wasn 't that enough shouldn't I be shouldn't I get my just desserts now? Um, if that is how you think, I mean really watch how you think if that sounds like you and it may not but if it does that 's the person you need to sit with that 's the mirror you need to confront. Why do you feel entitled to a grand spiritual revelation or epiphany or change because of some awful thing that happened in your life that you survived. There's a lot of answers to that. Um, so it would depend on the person, but if you're one of those people sit with that, really. If you're someone who says meat is murder and it constantly just occupies your mind, how awful people are, these meat eaters, um, why would that occupy your mind? Why is that, you know, which came 1st your despising people? An event in your life that provoked you to despise people? Or that people are just despicable? These terrible meat eaters. And then also, are you grateful for the plants that you do eat? You don't eat meat. You don't wear leather. That's wonderful. But if you're not happy as a result or can, you know, I don't mean like, yeah, everyone's got to smile and be happy, but I just mean contented in life. If you find yourself to be an angry person, a depressed person, uh, a paranoid person, uh, an anxious person. Um, if that is the tendency towards which you skew, as opposed to just being okay with yourself in your own skin, comfy in your own skin. um, Then look at that. Look at what really the meat is murder thing is about. What is it doing for you? What is it a defense against? Like I said, I woke up a vegetarian one day and it just stuck with me. That was, uh, I don't even remember when that was. Maybe 2010. So 10-ish years ago. Maybe more. Um, might have been 2009. Somewhere in there. I've been a good little vegetarian ever since but i think it was for health reasons i think my body just knew that it was time that i was too abusive i ate too much of probably red meat and and gross things you know like like whatever the greasiest diner food is you could get uh, so there's that i think i needed to get hooked on whole foods actual foods organic foods that's sad to say, right? I hate saying organic food, because that just implies that everything else is inorganic, and I know it doesn't mean that, but kind of does, doesn't it? We kind of do just shove a bunch of crap and chemicals into ourselves and then wonder why it is that we're sick. Must be a conspiracy. But it's funny, every time you uh, see an indigenous person, like an interview with someone, or even with Teokussin when he talked about... Um, how the Lakota would eat buffalo, but, you know, they were thankful. Um, When you hear that in an interview, when you see that truth on the faces of indigenous people of, of the thankfulness that is, uh, they express it, but it is almost choiceless. It is part of being integrated, part of being um, interconnecting with nature. This thankfulness is a part of it and sure you express again you express it but the expressing it is an act of joy it's not an act of oh god i've got to i got to phone this in i got to pretend to care no they actually are caring and when you see that you know we westerners tend to uh tear up we tend to have a sense of longing we have a a sense of Yeah, that connection that's broken within us, we have that sense. And so you're either going to cry about it or you're going to block it out, laugh it off, laugh at those stupid savages. Ha ha ha. But inside you're still crying because you know that that is who you should be, quote unquote, should be. This is who you're running from in some sense. I mean, if you watch all of that, what does that tell you? Tells you that the person who thinks it's a choice to be grateful, the person who says, yeah, I'm grateful, but maybe you skip a, a day <laughs> where you thank your your so-called food uh, or where you just sort of pass it off in a prayer at a meal, but then the rest of your day you spend destroying the earth, directly or indirectly, um, and going, well, I can't do anything about it. That person... That person has to go. That mind has to completely transform into a healthy mind. And that's what sitting with yourself can do. If you're not running from you, if you're not judging you, if you're really just looking, perhaps ironically with a scientific mind, I mean, really just observing for the sake of observing you as you actually are, you'll find some awful things in there. You'll find some good things in there. But so what? Don't be attached to any of it. If you just look, you just see who you are. There's clarity. In that clear light, and from that soil, who grows?